Championship Roundtable podcast. I'm your host, James Vickers. You can follow me on Twitter at underscore James Vickers. I write for a Preston North End fan blog, which is called Deepdale Digest, and the Twitter handle is at Deepdale Digest. Hi, I'm Kevin. I'm the editor of Leeds United Mad website, uh, Twitter handle Leeds United underscore Mad. And I cover, obviously, all the interesting things that happen down at Ellen Road, which is fairly quiet most of the time, but uh, it's quite busy this uh, last few weeks. Hi, uh, I'm Elliot Stanley. Um, I'm chair of the Nottingham Forest Supporters Trust. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Elliot underscore Stanley. Um, and obviously a Nottingham Forest fan and interested in, in all things relating to the trust movement as well as um, obviously interested in Forest itself. Yeah, cheers for joining me today, guys. Um, we'll start with making the rounds where each of us, obviously, we've been a double game week because of a, a bit of time to talk about what's been going on at our clubs this week. We'll start with you, Kevin. Um, yeah. Midweek, nil-nil draw with Fulham, and then obviously you followed that up with a, a very good win away at Sunderland and, um, on Saturday. Um, mm-hmm. Tell us how your week's been. Yeah, obviously uh, disappointing not to beat Fulham on uh, Tuesday night because... Even though it was a fairly even game for 90 minutes, we did have our chances. A certain Mr. Wood had a one-on-one chance that he missed. And he also had a goal that was uh, allegedly not offside, but the uh, assistant uh, referee gave it as offside. So I think we were very unfortunate not to get something from Tuesday. But uh, going into Saturday's game against Sunderland, obviously there was a lot of hoo-ha on Friday about whether Chris Wood would be playing. Uh, it turned out that he didn't play, and the team possibly turned in the best display so far of the season. By um, I thought it was quite an emphatic 2-0 victory at uh, Sunderland, and uh, we played really well. And obviously the confidence for the rest of the season is buoyed by that performance, and it shows you that even though we've lost our uh, top goal scorer from last season, life goes on and the team goes on, and they played really well. And I was uh, quite chuffed with the performance on Saturday, actually, and... Uh, I'm really pleased that we're unbeaten and in the top six. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, it'd be sort of silly of me not to, about the whole Chris Wood situation. <laughs> Obviously, there was on Friday sort of whether he was going to play or not, and mm. obviously he didn't play uh, Saturday yeah. during the game or maybe just before he came out and posted a tweet that he'd yeah. sort of saved on his drafts on his phone of, of his <laughs> reasons for not playing. Um, how was that sort of perceived sort of from a Leeds point of view? I know quite a lot of people on Twitter who weren't Leeds fans um, sort of didn't take too kindly to it um, but yeah, yeah I'd like to get your opinion on it Yeah I, I don't think it went down uh, well at all really I think it would have been better if he hadn't said anything really and just sort of said thank you for, you for his time at Leeds I'm going to the Premiership I'm going to be earning more money so bye bye that would have been more honest basically but uh, I think to be fair Thomas Christensen brought him down um with the team on Friday to, to Sunderland, thinking that there was still a chance that maybe he was a, would be a Leeds United player by the Saturday, and he was going to play him. But when he didn't sign his um, the offer of a three-year extended contract, he, he sort of refused to sign it. It was his decision to pull him out of the squad, even though with the words that Chris Wood came out with um, on his message, he, he sort of tended to sort of say that it was his decision not to play, but I think the decision had been made anyway before then, but I think the, the message that he put out didn't go down too well with the fans, because obviously he, he, was still, he was still technically a Leeds United player on Friday, 
um, going into Saturday and everybody would have expected him to play. So it didn't go down too well. I don't think he's done himself too many favours with that, but obviously he won't be too bothered at this moment in time because he's going to be playing in the Premier League next week. So uh, obviously if, we, if our paths had crossed again, um, it'd be interesting to see how it goes down with the Leeds fans. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, obviously. Um, there's been sort of a few examples of players sort of not wanting to play or refusing to sign contracts with their current clubs over the summer. Um, I think there's definitely, as we covered uh, last week, there's a right way of going about it. I think Riyad Mahrez at Leicester is a perfect example. He's, yeah. He did hand in the transfer request at the start of the summer, and he's been heavily linked with that move to Roma, which sort of probably will go through. But he's kept his head down, he's played well. Mm-hmm. Um, he was one of the, the best players on the pitch for Leicester at the weekend. So yeah. there's, there's definitely a right way to go about it. Um, sure, yeah. Well, I, well, think, well, I, think ben Gib- I think Ben Gibson's another good example, James, because he, he's been rumoured to be leaving Middlesbrough for a while, but he's still, he's still playing week in, week out, putting in good performances. And as mentioned on the on the TV show on Saturday night, Luar Luar played for his team at the weekend, and his father just died sort of 24 hours prior to that. So to come out with an excuse that his mind wasn't on the game because of Premiership interest, obviously, you know, it's, it sounds pretty tame, really, compared to some of the other examples. So, yeah, I, I don't think it went down too well, but uh, it would have been best if he just kept his council really i think and just sort of said bye bye i'm going to the premiership and, and that'd be it so um yeah fair enough it's uh it's just one of those things that happens i suppose yeah so last point that i have on it it's obviously he, he mentioned about not wanting to play amid this premier league interest so surely the mindset would be you've got this premier league interest you go put in a good performance and show obviously the burnley fans exactly what kind of play you'd be getting um I, Sort of, I think if I was a Burnley fan, getting a player who's you know refused to play for for his club and and sort of mm. let the fans down, it sort of put a question mark on it for me. Um, is he well, going to do the same for us, or is yeah. he sort of well, the kind of character that you want coming into the dressing room? Well, Charlie Taylor did the same thing um, last season, and they ended, they ended up buying him. So I don't think they're too concerned about it. I suppose not, not the the club itself, but obviously the the fans might be thinking, well, we've got two players now who were uh, in the team that obviously if things don't go well or they want to get out, they will actually wear the shirt of the team. So, yeah, there's a bit of a history there with some of our players, I think. But it's sad to see the way he went, the way he did go. But uh, it did well for his last season. Um, who's to say he would have done the same this season, really? So I think we've done quite well getting up to £18 million for his signature, really. I think it's time to move on now and see what else happens in the next few days. Yeah, it'd be interesting sort of to see how he, uh, he gets on in the Premier League and whether the move does work out for him. Um, we'll move on to you now, Elliot. Um, obviously, Ban- uh, Forrest started the, the week with a 2-1 defeat at Barnsley before uh, sort of a very good victory against sort of many people's favourites for the league, Middlesbrough on Saturday. Um, tell us how your week's gone. Yeah, interesting one, really. I guess, um, weirdly, Barnsley, not a great result, but, but came away feeling quite heartened by the performance um you know we had, we had a lot of the ball we looked very good on it it wasn't a huge surprise that we didn't look great without the ball that's been kind of story of the season so far and something that, that continues to lead some work but but really came away from there thinking one how did we not win the game we had succession of chances but but really two you know we're starting to build something that you can see there's a pattern 
from there, and you can sort of you can sort of take on the chin the, the loss um, ultimately because we can see what's starting to build, and I think that that's kind of one of those games that you come away from and you just chalk it up to experience and, and move on. Um, but I think Saturday we showed some some real resolve, um, and, and I think first half we were outstanding in terms of the way that we we competed and took the game to Middlesbrough, but second half we really had to dig in. Um, you know, clearly a very very talented side um there was obviously a side show as well with the return of our own kind of uh, ex-superstar striker um so, so it may be that next season that, that Leeds get the chance to cross paths with with Chris Wood again as we did with Britt on Saturday and you know that clearly was kind of central to the the whole game really he, he missed a couple of chances that we know well enough ourselves that he won't miss very often um and we took a couple of chances won a penalty and you know ultimately came away with with what will be a, a very heartening result for a team that probably are now starting to believe in themselves a little bit in terms of what they can achieve this season, never mind in, in future seasons. So it's overall a very positive week for us, I think. Yeah, it's interesting. It seems to always sort of work out this way when when I have sort of a couple of different fans on the podcast. Um, you've, I've noticed you've been heavily linked with uh, Liam Bridcut today from Leeds. Um, is that the kind of player that you sort of need now coming into your squad or is there sort of much more sort of improvement to be made in the last couple of days at the transfer window? Um, I think I think the manager said today he wants more, so I think the Bridcut deal is, is, is all but done. I think Christensen's pretty much confirmed that. From I think it seems like a good deal from all sides, to be honest. From what I've spoken to a couple of Leeds fans and from what I'm told, it perhaps doesn't quite fit in their immediate plans, wants to play football and, and really does fit what we need. That kind of... I, I'm getting a nosebleed if I go over the halfway line, I'll protect the back three or the back four, whatever it is we're playing on that particular day. Um, I think he'll slot in quite well. I'm not sure that'll be the end of the business. Um, I think we, we potentially may look at a centre-back, um, and I think it's it's fairly clear that we are also looking at bringing a keeper in. Um, so it's a very much kind of looking at bolstering that and defensive options, I think. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting, really. I wouldn't have Obviously, you've had quite a good start to the season, and Matt Warburton seems to have done quite a good job. Um, he's a manager that I sort of rate in this division. Um, you've brought in quite a lot of players over the summer. Is that sort of testament to how good a coach he is that he's managed to sort of get them gelling quite quickly and and sort of with the positive yeah. start you've made? I think it is. Um, you know, like yourself, I big fan of Warburton before he came to Forest. Big fan of what he has done at Brentford. Um, know very little. Of- about his time, to be honest, but you know, I look at what Brentford are today and think a lot of that is is down to what he did. Um, you know, they play some excellent football even today, kind of in that mould of that Warburton style, and we're starting to see that come through. But I think we've also probably worth touching upon Frank McParland joining the club as well. You know, obviously a long time associate of, of Warburton, and he's done a great great job in targeting players and, and the amount of money we've spent for the quality we've got in is is next to nothing really considering the 15 million that we got for, for Brit as well and I think it's it's not just testament to Warburton's actual ability to coach I think it's his testament is testament to the ability of the guys to get people in who are like-minded I, I don't think it's any secret that Warburton came into the club and didn't really take to Brit at all didn't like the attitude you know felt that he was he was very much a kind of all about me type player and he just didn't fit. So actually, that was a good deal all round. And what we've now got is a set of players who know they won't all be first name on the team sheet, but will all pull together and they'll pull in the same direction. We don't seem to have any um, any kind of um, look at me type players. Um, 
you know, we, we obviously got rid of Lansbury last season and I think he would have fit in that mould as well as one that Warburton just would not take to. Um, so, yeah, overall pretty positive. It's not going to stay like this. The, the tough time will come. I think we're going to see a, a, a tough patch at some point this season and, and how they respond to that will really tell us a lot about how far down the line we are. But, but thus far, we've made massive strides. Yeah, it'll certainly be interesting to see how, how Forrest go. Um I reckon sort of similar aspirations to Preston, uh, sort of in terms of maybe not quite good enough to to get in the playoffs, but sort of giving it a good go this season. And sort of who knows where that can take you. We saw with teams like Reading and Huddersfield last year. Um, sort of, it's, it's not the usual names sort of these days. There's always a, a team or two that is like a surprise package throughout the season. So potentially could be a Forester or Preston. Um, that moves obviously nicely into talking about Preston's week. Uh, it's been a mixed week, really. We started with a one-nil defeat away at Derby. Um, the big sort of loss for us in that game um, was Ben Pearson, who'd picked up two yellow cards at Leeds the Saturday before, and it's quite frightening, really, how much sort of our, our play depends on him. He's, he's, I've said sort of countless times on this podcast, he's the kind of player that if he's in your squad, you absolutely love him. If he plays for a different team, you absolutely hate him. Similar to like a Gary Neville for Man United, sort of going back a few years. Um, so it was a big miss, and it was quite evident in the uh, the game against Derby. We never got going. Um, the the one sort of positive we could take out of that was we didn't concede a goal from open play again. Um, it was a penalty that Vidra scored. No sort of arguments about the penalty. It was a penalty, um, and sort of we move on from that. Um, it's been sort of a mix place for us to go in recent seasons derby um but you know uh, picking up the home wins is, is what it's all about for us um which moves us on to saturday ben pearson was back in the middle of the park many people's man of the match um although jordan hugill who got the goal we ended up winning one nil um was equally as good um the one sort of disappointment which came out just before the game um was greg cunningham is going to be out for possibly five to six months he's been our player of the year the last two seasons um which speaks volumes about sort of his quality especially for a left back to get player of the season two years when we've had two good seasons back in the championship after getting promoted from league one so he's going to be a massive miss um it was quite interesting that that neil started um josh Earl, an academy lad who's signed his first professional contract over the summer um ahead of our second and third choice left back so sort of don't know what they're thinking now about their futures, whether they sort of move on um, in the last few days of the transfer window with it looking like Earl, who had a fantastic debut, is going to sort of nail down that place, hopefully. Um, he's really sort of that local lad coming into the squad. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how he does. Um, again, um, I'm not sure how many teams haven't yet this season, but I can't imagine there's too many. Um, the only goal we have conceded is, is the penalty against Derby, so that's a real sort of positive. Um, even though I've said on this podcast a few times that I think we desperately need another centre-back uh, and maybe a left-back now as, as sort of extra cover with Cunningham being out injured. Um, and we haven't signed a centre-back yet to replace Tom Clark, who's out until the new year. Um, so that is something to look at. I wouldn't say it's a fair kept clean sheets and not conceded from open play at this season against the likes of Leeds, Sheffield Wednesday, Derby and Reading. I think Neil's got them organised at the back, albeit with a makeshift defence, and sort of carried on in that grace and mould of first and foremost, we're going to be a hard team to beat. And then 
he's added some attacking quality as well, which is now sort of beginning to click. Um, we had, I think it was 21 shots on goal. So although it's disappointing to, to only score the one out of those, it's only a matter of time really till it, you know, it clicks. Um, keeping all the John Nugel in this last week or so with the transfer window is going to be crucial. Um, there was sort of rumours Leeds potentially might be interested. There's been the Birmingham and Sunderland links all summer. So keeping hold of him um, is really important for us. Um, apart from that, people like Sean Maguire and Josh Harrop look to be finding their feet now. They've both come into young, exciting attackers. Um, and it's, it's sort of positive signs, really. Um, it's just about adding that little bit more quality at the back and sort of who knows where that can take us. Um, but sort of all signs at the moment, when are pointing out that it could be quite a positive season for us. Um, that sort of moves us into the first topic of today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, it's changed a little bit, um, which sort of does show how sort of fickle fans can be at, at times. Um, certainly last weekend, there were quite a lot of Aston Villa fans calling for Steve Bruce to be sacked, especially with the amount of money he spent. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Is there sort of too much pressure on managers these days from fans and sort of the board chairman to get it right straight away, especially in Villa's case, who sort of are one of the bigger clubs in the division. They had a disappointing season last year. Um, we'll start with you, Kevin, on this. Do you think mm. that managers should be given more time, especially with the amount of money Bruce has spent, um, sort of to get his team playing the way he wants it, or is sort of the majority of the blame to be pointed at Steve Bruce? Well, they don't, they don't get much time these days, James. So the, the, people want instant success these days, otherwise you move on and you get somebody else. There's plenty of managers looking for jobs or coaches, whatever, and uh, obviously Bruce has spent a lot of money and everybody was expecting him to start off um, really well and be up in the top six straight away, but obviously it didn't pan out that way. They've got a good victory against Norwich, so maybe that's the real villa that's coming out now, but uh, no, uh, man, our coaches don't get much time at all now. I mean, uh, um, it's 18 months or so, and if you haven't done it by then, you're on your way, basically. I mean, we've been through a few coaches ourselves over the last sort of few seasons. It would be nice. It was nice last season that Gary Monk actually lasted the full season that's the first time in a long time uh, a manager's gone from pre-season to the last game of the season obviously it didn't last in the summer and now we're starting from scratch again with a, a new coach but uh, obviously Bruce has got the parachute payments from the premiership and obviously he bought a lot of players in in the January transfer window as well um, but obviously it didn't click straight away but Everybody thought, all right, from August. I think there were most sort of people's bet for a top two position, really. And obviously, the first couple of first two or three results didn't really pan out that way. So uh, people were actually saying, no, if he doesn't get a good result against Norwich, he's on his way out, and which is ridiculous, really, because you know you, you need at least 
what, 10, 15 games just to settle into a season. And obviously he, ha- he hasn't put his mark on the side yet, but he brought in a couple of kids at the weekend and they did wonders for him, which goes to show you that's what what he should be maybe looking at instead of bringing in big money signings. He should be looking at what, what talent he's got in front of him. So going back to your original question, no, I, I don't think it's fair that they're, they're not really given a chance, but that's the way things are these days. Fans want instant success and owners want instant success. And if it doesn't happen with a certain period, you move on and uh, somebody else has a go. So that's the way football is at the moment. Yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned about sort of giving younger players a chance. Sort of, It's been beneficial for us, but in recent years, we've signed Daniel Johnson and Callum Robinson on loan for us, who've both started the season sort of particularly well for us, and they've become sort of mm. quite crucial players. So it is finding that balance. Obviously, you can't solely rely on on youth um, and bringing players through your academy, but it's, it is finding that right balance. And you sure, yeah. It's it's going to be sort of interesting to see how sort of Bruce does with this squad um, uh, and sort of whether he can sort of get them up into definitely mm. into the playoffs. Um, I think he's sort of he's got that result against Norwich but I think he's sort of almost in a bit of trouble already um sort of due to sort of obviously the owner um and sort of how they started the season so it'll be interesting Mm. certainly to see how they go and and sort of come Christmas time for example if he is still there or sort of how they're doing in the league um same question to you Elliot um sort of what do you make of the whole situation not necessarily with Villa but sort of clubs and and sort of owners these days been too impatient and expecting immediate success from managers. Um, well, I, I certainly think that, that that is the case. Is that there's far too little patience in the game, and it, I think there's there's less and less understanding of the structure that's required for success as well. There's a lot of um, a lot of pointing at managers and saying he's clueless, get rid of him or get a new guy in, and everything will change. And I think sometimes we've got to kind of be appreciative of that. There's a wider structure in place at a football club that, that helps them get to success and a wider ethos. And I, I think particularly. Owners, all owners, I don't think you can just be kind of levelled at, at this sort of new breed of foreign owners. I think it's all owners generally don't appreciate that. They generally take this as a very simplistic approach. Um, you know, if, if we don't get the results we want, then we'll fire somebody rather than looking at the wider picture and saying, look, we'll embed ourselves in a culture and an ethos that gets us to an end game. And I think coming back to Bruce, um, I don't think his credentials at championship level can can really be questioned to be honest I think you know he's, he's had enough success at championship level to say that he does know what he's doing um there's perhaps questions at a Premier League level at whether he can can manage dressing rooms of, of that sort of um that sort of mentality and, and players with, with those level of egos um which I think when you look at Villa the question I have is is he the right match for the club and is that really his squad um, because I look at that squad and I, I don't know, like Lansbury to me, not a Bruce signing. Terry, almost certainly not a Bruce signing. So I kind of look at it and wonder whether it really the ending of this particular saga is already written and, and is somewhat inevitable. I just They just don't look like the right match for me. Um, although what I would say is he's done some good work bringing in people like Colin Coldwood. Um, you know, pretty much seasoned um, assistant manager now has kind of accepted that as a as a role going forward. I think in his career, and, and he seems to have done a good job at a number of clubs. So it might be that that brings some stability. But you know, ultimately, clubs have got to look at that wider structure and ask what is it we want this guy to spearhead, not what magic do we want him to do. Yeah, I think a perfect example of that sort of over recent years in the Championship is Brighton. Um, they've come close a few times. So it would have been easy to 
you know, sort of rip up plans and almost start again with a new manager, but they, they sort of stuck it out over a couple of seasons and now they're sort of reaping the rewards of it in the Premier League. Um, it was sort of similar to us, really, in the sense that uh, we brought in Grayson when we were down in League One. We gave him time. He was, I think, the third or fourth longest serving manager in the Football League when he sort of eventually left us to go to Sunderland. And it's, it is, you, obviously, if you, you bring a new manager in and sort of after a few games you haven't won and it's clearly not working, sort of then potentially you look at changing it. But sort of most clubs these days are too sort of driven on the idea of sort of immediate success. And if that doesn't come, um, it's sort of far too easy these days just to chop and change. And sort of nine times out of ten, that sort of does more harm than good for a club. Um, you get sort of teams, for example, like Leeds over the last few seasons, just sort of going through a manager or two each season. And at some stage, you need to sort of look at yourself. You need to get sort of what you perceive to be the right man in and, and really back him and, and give him the time. And sort of, as I said, if, as we've seen with Brighton, you know, if you give them the time and the foundations in place, you uh, you reap the re- rewards from that. Um, but moving on to, to the next topic now, it's it's one that's sort of, it comes up every season around this point and it's the first international break. Um, obviously the season's only just started. Um, do you think, we'll start with you first on this one, Elliot. Um, do you think it's, it is detrimental to, to managers wanting to work with new signings, especially with the transfer window closing? I think it's three days before the sort of the first international game on this international break. So you could, for example, sign a player and then straight away they're off and, and you don't get to work with them for, say, the first week or so. Um, do you think the international break should change or do you think it should be sort of brought earlier, for example, so before the season starts? Um, I'd like to get your opinions on this and, and sort of how you, you see it. Yeah, I guess, um, so being clubs and as, as, as I am, and I, I think it probably speak for quite a lot of people in, in being it's first ultimately I guess my personal selfish view is is yeah I'd love to see it scrapped I don't think it's great for for squads at all and so many players play international football now um, at so many different kind of levels if you like that it's hugely disruptive you're often left with kind of half a squad to work with and I think it's it's not really about new signings coming in it's just about getting into that rhythm of the squad being together getting that camaraderie you know getting to a place where the guys know each other and you're sort of just getting into your stride now it probably probably takes 10 to 15 games I would think before you're properly into your stride I I imagine that might be lower if we didn't have this break and I I just wonder how the managers view it ultimately Um, and I guess different managers maybe have different views. I know from from internally, uh, Forrest certainly Mark won't won't be a fan of this. He, he very much enjoys working with the players, getting down to business with them on the training field, and, and sees that as a massive part of his job. So I guess there's a bit of trepidation there for me um, in terms of what it will mean to us. Um, and, and I guess it's it's the same at every level. I mean, some of the Premier League squads must be absolutely decimated during this period because you know almost all those players are off on some sort of international duty a lot of the time. Yeah, sort of echoing my sort of thoughts exactly on that. Um, what what would your thoughts be on this, Kevin? Obviously, Leeds mm. these days not as many as in the past, but you've obviously still got a few international players, um, especially bringing in new signings. So, what are your views on the the international break coming so soon? Well, it seems to be an ongoing thing for the last few seasons that you have sort of four or five games and you go straight into a international break and that's the case again this season so it's not as if it's a massive surprise I suppose the only thing with us though every time we do have a break we come back and we usually lose our first game back in the league we haven't 
I think we had four breaks last season, and every time we came back, we didn't score a goal and we lost the game. So it seems to affect our players a little bit, or it did last season. But obviously, that's that's just obviously a, a massive coincidence. But th- what I'm saying is, on this occasion, maybe the break will do us good because it will give us a chance to get a couple of injured players, but maybe back on the training field again because we we're sort of missing Matthew Pennington, who's played one game for us against Bolton and got injured and he he was awesome that particular afternoon against Bolton he's on loan from Everton and um, he's been out injured ever since and same with Berardi he got injured in the first sort of half an hour so from a selfish point of view it gives uh, the squad a chance to sort of regroup and get refreshed for the first game back which we've got two home games when we get back into it again against Birmingham so Hopefully we can start getting our home form back on track as well. So it, speaking from a very selfish point of view, I think it's come at a good time for us because obviously we're wood leaving as well. If we get a new striker this week, he, he'll have to bed in a little bit. and he'll, he'll, He's got that time during the period of the international break to get to know the new players and maybe get him involved in some sort of... Um, you know, match practice with the team as well. So, yeah, it's, it's, it hasn't been very lucky for us over the last few seasons. But obviously, everybody knows these days now that you, you, you kick off your season, and before you know it, there's an international break, and that seems to be the pattern for football these days. It's and then obviously you just got to get and get on with it basically. Yeah, it's it's quite an interesting one for Preston, really. Um, I think our scout nowadays only knows sort of Ireland as, as an area to scout. I think before Cunningham was injured, we would have had four players going into the Republic of Ireland squad. Um, and I think we've got six Irish sort of players who have played internationally for them uh, at various levels. So in the sense that sort of, I think players going off, um, it gives especially Sean Maguire for us, for example, um, a chance to get to know sort of the Irish lads in our squad a bit better um there's sort of familiar faces there when he goes off um but sort of training ground wise for us it leaves us sort of a few players short sort of over the the window we don't really have any sort of nagging injuries sort of players to get back apart from Declan Rudd who's got a five strain which he picked up in a pre-season game um the only sort of two injuries we've got are long-term ones that are Cunningham and Clark and they look like they're going to be out sort of well into the new year um so it's, it is finding that balance. Obviously, you need to get your international games in for, for qualification, that kind of thing. Um, people, yeah, nowadays accept that it that it is coming and it's sort of, it does make for, obviously, sort of good TV, sort of depending on how you judge international footballs these days. Um, but definitely it is disruptive to the start of the season. Um and it can be viewed sort of positive in the sense that it gives you time to, to get players back from injury or sort of negative as sort of clubs can't work with those new signings and, and integrate them into the team. Um, the next topic I wanted to touch on, it's, it's been brought up a couple of times this week um, and I'd like to get your opinions on it. Um, Gary Lineker in particular um, was on Twitter um, sort of highlighting uh, Julian Nagelsmann's points, uh, the Hoffenheim manager saying that Defenders and, and midfielders in particular who have to make a tackle have already made an error in sort of the build-up play, which leads to them making a tackle. Um, and if it was up to them to tackle him, wouldn't be a prominent part of the game anymore. Um, I'd like to get your thoughts on this, because obviously 
watching the English leagues, tackling is a big part. Obviously, it's it's one of the most physical and sort of demanding leagues in the world. Um, do you think sort of their sort of opinions are right on this topic, um, or is there sort of a fine balance sort of between sort of each of them? Um, we'll start with you, Kevin, on this. How do you sort mm. of perceive it? Um, I don't agree with it at all. Really, I think tackling is a big part of the game, really, and you know it goes back to. Uh, Bobby Moore, doesn't it? When, for England, doing that, that fantastic tackle on on Pele and stopping him from scoring a certain goal. I mean, that that is just as beautiful to watch as a forty-yard pass or you know a twenty-yard shot into the into the, to the goals. It's all part of the game. I mean, you could be watching the most boring game in the world for forty minutes, and all of a sudden, one of your um, players makes a crunching tackle on somebody and the whole crowd is sort of buoyed by it thinking wow somebody actually cares and they're getting stuck in a little bit and, and I, th- I think you know it's a, it's an essential part of the game really if, if it's done properly it's it's one of the best sights in football seeing somebody make a, a fantastic tackle on the opposition and stopping a certain goal or a certain pass to somebody and it's all part of the game so I, I don't know where this guy sort of coming from really I think you take that away from football, um, it's, it's not quite the game. It's, I mean, referees are, are tending to make it a, a contactless sport as it is at the moment, half the time. So it's, it's still nice to see those obstacles being put in. And it's, like I say, it can really liven up a game that's sort of going nowhere sometimes and get the players you know, backing each other again and, and getting stuck in. So I think it's a crucial part of the game that sh- shouldn't be stopped. I'm a bit surprised... Um, Gary Lineker was in support of that because he sort of comes from an era when tackles, you know, uh, were flying in left, right and centre sometimes. And um, I think it's a bit of a silly statement to come out with, really. Yeah, the same question to you, Elliot. How do you sort of see tackling and and what are your views on, obviously, Gary Lineker and and Julian Nagelsmann's sort of opinions on it? Um, so when I when I first saw the kind of headline, I, I guess my reaction was very much um, one of one of horror because I think you know as Kevin says, you take the blood and thunder out of the game, and, and it, the English game just no longer has that that edge that I think it's got. But what I will say is when I read some of the comments in a little bit more detail, I think um, I think there's an important distinction between outlawing tackling and seeing it as an essential part of the game, but as part of a mix of other tactics that you can employ and I think it's more towards the latter that he was he was talking about perhaps not with the best articulation in the world but if you look at I think he highlighted a quote from Paolo Maldini who who said something about if I have to make a tackle then I've already made a mistake and I think if you look at his highlights package of tackling is long and varied so even the best in the world make those mistakes we're not going to see the back of tackling by perhaps adjusting our view of the game. And, and I think if what Linick is trying to say is the first option should be to try and win the ball and distribute it rather than to go thundering in, then then I get it. And I understand where he's coming from in terms of it holding the game back in England. But I, I do think there's an important balance to be struck in that we're not from the Italian purist um, view of football is not how we play football in this country and it's not why our leagues are very successful and if we put pure championship spin on this as well championship by its very definition is, is second tier we're going to see more more mistakes we're going to see more tackling that's just kind of part of how it is and I think you've seen certain sides go up from from the championship to the Premier League and that's something they perhaps should 
forward with is a, is a slightly more cultured style of play. Um, and, and I think there's, there's certainly some some legs in this in terms of his understanding what it means at international level for us as well because again I think that's something that potentially he might be getting at in terms of how it's held us back I think we, we all kind of know that technically we lack behind other countries Yeah it is sort of an interesting one uh, I don't think there's sort of particularly a right and wrong answer obviously you're never going to see tackling completely outlawed um, it, sort of as Kevin said completely changed the game and especially in England where the physicality is there it'd really take away from sort of the product that is put out from sort of English football um, I think obviously the Maldini comment um, you can see where he's coming from on that that if he does have to make a tackle he's, he's already made the mistake um, but sort of adding to that there's times where necessar- not necessarily that you've made a mistake but you're say, for example, covering someone or the striker's got that extra yard of pace and there is sort of the need to make a tackle then. So it's sort of a good sort of debate to have on it. I don't think there's a right and wrong answer. Obviously, tackling should never and probably will never be outlawed completely. Otherwise, it'd be sort of similar to touch rugby, that kind of thing. Um, And it'd completely change, obviously, the way football's played. But it is definitely, as I said, sort of a good topic to talk about um the next topic i wanted to talk about today obviously the season's sort of up and running now um clubs are finding their feet and the table's sort of starting to take shape um albeit we're only a few games in um there's been quite a lot of money spent um, particularly by middlesbrough on attackers this season um i just wanted to get your thoughts on who's going to be the league's top scorer come the end of the season um, and which team overall do you think will score the most goals? Um, we'll start with you, Kevin, on this one. Who do you hmm. see being the league's top scorer um, and also yeah. the team scoring the most goals come the end of the season? Well, you're rubbing it in there a bit, James, because obviously we did have the top scorer last season and we've just got rid of him. <laughs> so, <laughs> Depending on who, on who we get in, uh, I like to think they'll be the top scorer. But we've been linked with Rudy Gestead today, who's... Uh, obviously, he was a good striker at Blackburn a couple of seasons ago with Jordan Rhodes. He's got quite a lot of goals for those. But I think he's best known for uh, playing um, 43 consecutive Premiership games on a, on a losing side, or not not on a winning side, basically. So maybe he's not the right sort of person to come in. But uh, there's been mixed views about that today, whether it would be a good signing or not. But apparently... Um, Borough wanted Chris Wood a, a few weeks ago, and they were going to use instead uh, as part of the uh, an exchange sort of package for some money. So maybe they're not keen on having him in the side, even though he has sort of featured in all their games. But you've got to look at Middlesbrough maybe having the best options up front this season. Um, maybe they're going to be the high scorers. Maybe you thought that, but they've got off to a, a tricky away. Uh, start because they've lost both their away games but they've won both their home games so I think it's difficult really to pick a, a certain player out really after the first sort of four games I mean Hugo obviously is a good striker at Preston I do rate him a lot I don't know what his goal ratio is like but he seems to get his fair share of goals I think he'll be up there or thereabouts as well another player obviously that's been linked as a possible replacement for Chris Wood as well but um, I think at this stage of the season, it's difficult to say. I mean, after Norwich's, um, sorry, Villa's performance the weekend, um, Huran got um, a hat trick, and he's a, he's a midfield player. So he's one of the top scorers in the league already. So it's it's difficult to say uh, which 
team or which player was, is going to sort of, I, mean, I didn't th- particularly think Chris Wood would be the top scorer last season, but he just sort of took his chances really well last season. And it, before you knew it, it was on 20 plus going towards third. So it could be a surprise package, really, but it's difficult to say, James, really, after sort of four games, I think, who might be the runaway sort of scorers at this moment in time. But I like to think whoever we get in to replace Chris Wood will be the top scorer and we'll get a bag of few goals ourselves. So you never know. Yeah, same question to you, Elliot. Um, who do you see being the individual top scorer and also the team that gets the most goals over the course of the season? Um, so I think we've already kind of talked about Middlesbrough. Um, if he stays fit, then Britt is not going to have many more Saturdays like the one just gone and he won't miss the sort of chances he was presented with. I think the, the big question there is if he stays fit, you know, as a questionable injury record. But I, I think he's got to be in with a shout. And I think the thing that kind of plays into that for me is that I think if, if he's fit, he starts for Middlesbrough. He's one of those players who he pretty much his first name on the team sheet. I think all the names around the league that I'd look at... Um, Scotty Hogan was one that kind of stuck out for me. Um, but I don't think he'll be first name on the team sheet every week. And I think that kind of affects whether he'll score the goals. I think he's pretty much been a, a one in two striker throughout his career and, and will pretty much do that again if he was given the chance. Also question how long it's going to take Villa before they're really firing. So it's difficult to see to see far beyond Middlesbrough. I would have said Leeds would be bang up there if Chris Wood had just stuck around. Um, but obviously a lot of hinges on, as Kevin says, who they bring in. Um, but if you look at if you look at the, the league and the number of goals that have already fired in for some of the teams, there, there could be some dark horses in there. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of chances being created. I think when we were at Barnsley last week, Barnsley quite direct, but create a lot of chances. Um, you know, and they could be a team that, that surprised a few people. Brentford, you know, scored three against us and still ended up on the losing side. Another team that, that clearly can create lots and lots of opportunities from open play. And I think it's likely to be a, another kind of dark horse that maybe comes from nowhere. There's, there's Sahor at Cardiff, who's, who's looking like he's firing on all cylinders. So who knows? It's one of those years, isn't it? Yeah, you uh, you sort of mentioned Zahor there. Another one I'd sort of highlight, uh, he's got four in four already this season, is Bobby Reid at Bristol City. They, um, While not too good defensively, they always do seem to bang in a few goals. Um, so I can see sort of Bobby Reid potentially been up there for them. Um, sort of the other player, obviously, from a nostalgic point of view for Preston, uh, it'd be David Nugent at Derby. Uh, he got two goals uh, the other day against Bolton, um, and he's he's one of those players. While never really been given a proper chance in the Premier League, he's one of those sort of trusted Championship strikers. You can always count on him to sort of get sort of around the 15 goal mark a season. Um, interestingly, for Preston, we've uh, we've only scored the one goal from open play at this season, um, and that was obviously Jordan Hugill who scored it. Um, he sort of over the last couple of seasons has been sort of around about a 10, 12 goal striker. Um, and the goals have really sort of been shared around. We haven't had a particularly sort of out and out what you could class as a 20 goal a season striker since obviously we had Nugent um, going back quite a few years now in the championship. Um, but yeah, I think Middlesbrough will definitely be up there as some longer. Um, definitely. Um, I think, It'd be sort of silly not to include them with the the amount of attacking talent that they've uh, they've got at the moment. Um, and similarly, same with Sheffield Wednesday. I think once they get up and running, um, on the first podcast I tipped them and Fulham to be sort of the two that go up automatic. Um, 
So I think Sheffield Wednesday, sort of once they do get up and running, they've had a tricky start to the season. Uh, I can see them definitely sort of firing a few goals in. Um, they've got sort of players like uh, Jordan Rhodes, who you know knows where the back of the net is. Um, but with that, we uh, will go on to previewing games for for next weekend. It's uh, fallen sort of. I try not to plan it like this, but it turns out Forest and uh, Leeds are playing <laughs> each other. Um, mm. We'll start with Kevin on this one. Um, sort of, how do you see the game going? Um, and sort of give us your thoughts on it. Not a happy hunting ground for us, actually, the city ground over the years. So I'm not. Uh, I don't have a load of confidence that we'll go there and get a good decent performance um i think Bridcut's sort of agreed terms uh, with forest now but it'd be interesting to see if he actually plays on saturday i mean there's no reason why he shouldn't but uh, unless Leeds have done a gentleman's agreement with forest say so we can just leave him out saturday and just play him afterwards but obviously if they pay good money for him they're going to be, be um, and he's better than what they've got at the moment he's going to be playing on um, saturday and um, chances are he's going to play a blinder as well i should imagine I think it's going to be a very tough game because it always is a forest for us. We got thumped there last season when we were going through a bit of a ropey spell with Gary Monk. He, was, he got to a bit, a bit of a dodgy start um, and we got beat 3-1. When um, I think it flattered Forest slightly, but they did deserve to win overall because we were quite lackluster on the day. I think it's going to be... I mean, obviously, we've got 100% away record at the moment with wins at Bolton and Sunderland. So we, away from home, we've started off really uh, fantastic. It's, it's the best start away from home we've had in, in the Championship since we've been there. So um, I don't know. It's, it's hard to judge to see how we'll do. It depends if we get a striker in before then as well to see how we perform um, with Wood's replacement up front um, if we do get one in time for Saturday. Um, so I'm going to sit on the fence a little bit and say, you know, I'll be quite happy with the, a point going into the international break. Uh, as long as we don't lose and keep up the good momentum, I think I'd be quite happy, you know, like I say, with a draw and um, it's a tough place for us to go and uh, I don't see it being any easier on Saturday. Yeah, the same to you now, Elliot. Um, how do you see the game going? Obviously, sort of fingers crossed for you. You can you can follow it up with another impressive home win, uh, following on from the Middlesbrough game. How do you see the game going? Yeah, you say impressive. I think it would be impressive. I mean, I think like Kevin touched on it there. Leeds, Leeds done well away from home, so they're not going to come to the city ground and be overawed by the fact that we're on you know something of a roll. Despite having I mean, lost that game at, at Barnsley, we, we have got a bit of a momentum, which is strange how that sometimes happens, even when there's a, there's a loss in the mix. But I think it'll be tough. You know, apart from conceding the the two goals at, at Bolton, I don't think Leeds have conceded any more um, in the league this season. There's just the, the one in the in the cup. I think, and I, you know that that's going to be tough for us um, going against a team that have got reasonable defensive. Resolve. We haven't looked great at the back ourselves, to be honest. Um, so I think it could be a cracking game. I think there's that that sideline as well of, of Bridcut. Sounds like he, he will sign and play. Um, so there's an interesting kind of side story emerging there, and, and you know you always kind of get that that extra edge when a player comes up against his former club but a week after he signed or less than a week after he signed. There's going to be some some more there, and it should be a good atmosphere. As well, late kick off, so you know, it's starting, starting to sort of get a bit darker, and there'll be lots and lots of Leeds fans there, so it always makes for a, a good atmosphere. You've got you know, two two big clubs going at it, and I'm really looking forward to it as a, as a prospect. Although I'm hoping I haven't jinxed it now saying it'll be a cracker, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I certainly do think it'll be a good game. Obviously, it's the, the Sky game on the Saturday night, so it'll uh, sort of be interesting to see how teams. Uh, 
they're in that. Um, Preston have got sort of out of sort of looking at the league. We've had the the hardest start to the season so far. We travel up to Middlesbrough. Um, it'll be the first game I'm going to this season, so I'll probably jinx it somehow, and we'll we'll end up conceding quite a few. Um, always does seem to be the way um, when I sort of go up for the first game that I can manage to get on. Um, but we we travelled sort of well um, historically in the championship, especially when Grayson was in charge. I was more confident most of the time um, going to an away game than than a home game. Um, sort of the style suited better for away games. Um, and I think that'll be no different sort of this season under Alex Neal. Um, obviously Middlesbrough will be coming in off the, the defeat to Nottingham Forest that they'll have a point to prove. Uh, and sort of as Elliot mentioned, the Sombra Longa uh, won't have too many days like he did against Nottingham Forest. So hopefully sort of the Preston game is, is another one of those days. Uh, and he's sort of off for, form at the moment um especially with sort of our makeshift defense i don't think we're gonna sort of bring anyone in this week unless something happens quite quickly um sort of worryingly there hasn't been sort of any names sort of linked yet um but obviously we're only on monday now so it'll be interesting to see come saturday if something does materialize um i think as i've said we do need another defender to come in through the doors um, but it'll certainly be an interesting game anyway. It's it's always good to test yourself against the better teams in the division and sort of see how far we've come um, over the summer. We've got a young, exciting squad who are playing without fear at the moment, and I think it's only a matter of time before the goals do start coming. Um, we do have quite a lot of pace up front, which is sort of unusual for us over the last few seasons. We haven't really had that that lightning-quick pace, but with players like Harrop, Robinson and Barcusen, um I think we are suited to play away from home, especially against Middlesbrough, who are going to attack us and potentially leave spaces at the back. It'll be interesting to see how we go. Um, but with that, we're we're out of time. Um, if you two want to to let sort of everyone know the best place to find you, now would be a good time. Yeah, um, uh, like I said before, it's Leeds United underscore Mad on Twitter um, and Leeds United Mad on on the internet. Our Leeds fans can. Uh, uh, check out the latest ongoing stories going on at Leeds and latest signings and obviously hopefully an exciting season ahead uh, you can find me at, at Elliot underscore Stanley on Twitter um, lots of forest musings a little bit stuff about ice hockey if that's your thing as well yeah and as I mentioned at the start I'm at underscore James Vickers on Twitter I write for a press and often fan ball which is at Deepdale Digest and every Saturday morning sort of as you're on the way to the game I bring out a piece called Opposition Overview where I'll speak to a, a fan from the team that we're playing on Saturday or whatever day the game falls on uh, so it's definitely worth checking out um, thank you two for joining me um, and we'll see you again cheers guys